You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Baruchasham, welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. This is Fundamentally Mormon coming to you live from Carbon County uh, and Emory County, Utah, on this 10th day of August 2021. Uh, tonight we're going to be reading The Church of the Firstborn, which is Chapter 13 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, pages 219 to 232. Uh, you can go to facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977 and you will find the text to uh, to what we're going to be reading tonight. You can also find that 
on Zion's Redemption Radio Network, which is a page on Facebook, yeah, and a couple of other places. But anyway, um, I'll just dedicate the program, and then Emmett will get right into the reading. Our Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for the opportunity to have this time to dedicate unto Thee to learning about the Church of the Firstborn and learning about things that maybe not be be being talked about in church today, uh, things of the restoration, things that are important to Zion's redemption. We love Thee, Father, and we dedicate this time unto Thee in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Emmett. Um, you got the chat room open, right? Yep. Yeah, and the chat room is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And uh, the guest call in number is 917 889 8827. Go ahead and uh, start the reading, Emmett. Okay. Um. Today we are going to be reading Chapter 13 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6. We are on page 219 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, and I'm reading out of Ensign to the Nations by Ogden Kraut, uh, Volume 2 specifically. And we're on page 999 in that. So I'm going to start reading now. <laughs> uh, chapter 13, The Church of the Firstborn. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. They are they in, into whose hands the Father has given all things. They are they who are priests and kings who have received of his fullness and of his glory. D&C uh, 76, 54-56. Many scriptural passages and prophets have mentioned another church besides, besides the church of Jesus Christ. It is called the Church of the Firstborn. Some of these references are as follows. Um, there's a whole bunch of different references in Genesis and the, doc- or Genesis and the Doctrine and Covenants, but I'm not going to read all those. Although the Lord gave instructions on the proper name for all the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, D&C 115.4, he distinguished this other church by calling it a different name. The reason is because they are two separate churches with different missions and qualifications for entrance. Have anything to say? We're on page 220. I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> when, when did this church of the firstborn begin? According to Heber C. Kimball, here in the territory of Deseret is the kingdom of God, And here are all the officers pertaining to that kingdom, and here is an organization that is organized after the order of God, and it is organized after the order of the Church of the Firstborn. Let me explain what the Church of the Firstborn is. It is the first church that was ever, or that ever was raised upon the earth. Raised up upon the earth. That is the Firstborn Church. That is what I mean. When God, or, or, and when God our Father organized that church, he organized it just as his Father organized the church on the earth where he dwelt. And that same order is organized here in the city of Great Salt Lake. And it is that order that Joseph Smith, the prophet of God, organized in the beginning in Kirtland, Ohio. Brother Brigham Young, myself, and others were present when that was done. And when those officers received their endowments, they were together in one place. They were organized and received their endowments and blessings. And those keys were placed upon them, and that kingdom will stand forever. Journal of Discourses, 
volume 5, page 129, and page 1857. Brother Heber clearly talks about the organization of this separate church of the firstborn in Kirtland, Ohio, where he and Brigham Young were present. It is distinguished from the organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which was organized in Fayette, New York, on April 6, 1830, before Brigham and Heber had even heard about the church. It can be taken from some passages that the Church of the Firstborn was God's church, as differentiated from Christ's church. For example, this comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life, even the glory of the celestial kingdom, which glory is that or yeah, which glory is that of the Church of the Firstborn, even of God, the holiest of all, through Jesus Christ his Son. D and C uh, section 88, verses 4 to 5. Uh, we're on page 221. Anything to say, Dad? No, I'll interrupt you when I have something to say, okay? Okay. Well, I'm still going to stop at every page and drink a drink of water for a second. Um, I remembered to take Dayquil before I did this, so I'm not going to cough a whole lot, hopefully, though. The ordinance oh, and authority of the... Oh, I was going to be reading. The, uh, hold on. Stop. Okay. My brother Arius just came in and started knocking on the door. <laughs> okay, continuing on. The ordinances and authority of the Aaronic priesthood make it possible to enter the membership of the LDS Church, but it requires the ordinances and authority of the Melchizedek priesthood to enter into the Church of the Firstborn. The Church of the Firstborn is a spiritual church for which the Church of Jesus Christ is a preparatory church. You have something to say? Oh, you're breaking up. I can hear background noise, so I don't know if you're muted or not. Yeah, it sounds better. Hold on. Okay. The Church of the Firstborn is a spiritual church for which the Church of Jesus Christ is a preparatory church. Membership in the Church of the Firstborn is for those who are chosen, called, and elected. The first principles of the Church of Jesus Christ open the door to the higher principles of the Church of the Firstborn. Paul explained to the Hebrews why the children of Israel failed to ascend the mountain. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake, but ye are, ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an immeasurable or innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 20 to 24. The children of Israel had rejected the higher laws and higher priesthood. Therefore, they were limited to the lesser laws and the lesser priesthood, but still these saints of Christ were promised to go to Mount Zion, but not upon, its mount, or upon the mountain itself, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, God, the spirits of just men made perfect, and Jesus the mediator. It appears from the revelations recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants that there are three distinct and separate churches, 
First, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For thus shall my church be called in the last days. DNC section 115, uh, verse 4. Um, we are on page 222. I'm about to take a drink. Okay, continuing. The church of the firstborn and all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the firstborn or of the glory of the same and are the church of the firstborn. DNC section 93, uh, 22. Uh, what's it called? I think it's verse 22. Three, the church of the devil contend against no church and save it be the church of the devil. DNC section 18, verse 20. Or, yeah. Ugh. The ultimate objective of all saints should be to enter into the Church of the Firstborn, not the Church of Jesus Christ. Joseph Fielding Smith described how to enter into this higher church. Each person baptized into the church is under obligation to keep the commandments of the Lord. When he has provided himself by a worthy life, having been faithful in all things required of him, then it is his privilege to receive other covenants and to take upon himself other obligations which will make of him an heir, and he will become a member of the Church of the Firstborn. Seek ye earnestly, seek ye earnestly. Smith, page 147. And now we're on page 223. Anything to say? I'm taking that as a note. Those who gain exaltation in the celestial kingdom are those who are members of the church of the firstborn. In other words, those who keep all the commandments of the Lord. There will be many who are members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who shall never become members of the church of the firstborn. Doctrine of Salvation, uh, verse, or chapter 2, verse 41, maybe volume, I don't know. That is another one I'm unfamiliar with. He then went on to explain that holding a high position in the church is no guarantee that someone will become a member of the church of the firstborn. Um, in the quote. <clears throat> so being ordained an elder, or a high priest, or an apostle, or even president of the church, is not the thing that brings the exaltation, but obedience to the laws and the ordinances and the covenants required of those who desire to become members of the church of the firstborn, as these are administered in the house of the Lord, to become a member of the church of the firstborn, as I understand it, is to become one of the inner circle. We are all members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by being baptized and confirmed. And there are many who seem to be content to remain such without ordaining the privileges of exaltation. Uh, Doctrine of Salvation, again, uh, it says IBID, except for it's verse 42 or page 42. Thus, holding high church positions and attending to gospel ordinances are still no guarantee that a person will belong to the Church of the Firstborn. Joseph Smith, after quoting Paul's message to the Hebrews, added that someone can never see the celestial kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. He may receive a glory like unto the moon or a star, but he can never come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and into an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God and judge of all, or and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, 
unless he becomes a little child and is taught by the Spirit of God. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 12. Dad, do you have anything to say? We're on page 224 now? Yeah. It was like halfway through that. Uh, No, I actually was having technical difficulties. I had to reset my phone and then set up my headset again. Anyway, um, did they read the quote in Genesis chapter 9 yet? about the church of the firstborn? Um, I'm I, not, if you haven't I don't read think it, so yet. Okay. Anyway, um, I can't remember if I read it earlier, but um, I don't know. It's just one of my favorite uh, scriptures. It's in the Inspired Translation by Joseph Smith, and it talks about... Um, when a people live all that God has commanded, then they shall look up, and Zion will come down out of heaven with the church of the firstborn. So, like, whenever I t- uh, hear people talking about the church of the firstborn on the earth as being set up, I'm just like, I don't know what that is. Um, I've studied some about it, and I know that there's been some speculation and things talked about. But as far as I know, the only church of the firstborn, it's not on earth. It's with the city of Zion, with the city of Enoch, on Mount Zion, or, um, well, Mount Zion is where the city of Enoch is, and it'll come down out of heaven in the last days when there's the people who are willing to do what God has commanded in in redeeming Zion. Zion. So, um, I don't know. I, I know that there's a couple of groups that call themselves the Church of the Firstborn, and they've got all kinds of like I don't I don't know I just think people just make it up and oh well it says it it says it should be here so we should just start a church um, that's not how it should ever be you shouldn't just start a church because you feel like starting a church it should be direct revelation so. Um, I don't know um, I do know that I have uh, been on Mount Zion. I have physically been on Mount Bashel, which is where the house of God is, the literal house of God, the temple of God. Uh, When I had my calling and election made sure and I was filled up. But as far as being on the earth, I don't know. I do know that Jesus Christ said if they were not obedient, um, that he would reject the church with their dead. And the obedience was building a temple where the Father, who is the Most High, could come to other and that he might restore that which was lost unto you, or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. That's not the, that's not the Melchizedek priest system people uh, like pretend. Uh, you cannot come into the presence of the Father unless you have the Melchizedek priesthood. So he couldn't restore it to even if he wanted to. He'd have to send a servant like he did with Joseph Smith. Peter, James, and John restored the Melchizedek priesthood to Joseph Smith, and then it went out from there. You know, um, in order to come into the presence of the Father, you have to have that priesthood. And then he personally, the Father personally, gives the fullness of the priesthood by the laying on of hands to the individual who is worthy of it. 
So, but that never happened in the Navi Temple, which was never finished. It had nothing to do with the endowments at the red brick store because Jesus said that um, that that had to be done in the temple, not the red brick store. Okay, and it was an endowment of power, not some play that is supposed to prepare you for the endowment. That's what the endowment of the LDS church is now. It's a play that's supposed to prepare you for the endowment, but they've changed so much of it that it used to be an all-day-long process to get your endowments out, and now you can do it in a couple of hours, an hour and a half or something like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was changed and taken out. They don't worry about it because, you know, they think that they're better than everyone. Or, no, actually... In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the man who lifts himself up above the throne of God, who is the false prophet. Um, That's supposed to happen in the temple in the last days, and I would like to know who has a temple on the earth in the last days. It's the Latter-day Saints, the tribe of Ephraim. And when it talks about that, false prophet lifting himself up above the throne of God, that means that he thinks that he can do whatever he wants and he doesn't have to ask God for permission or even direction. And that's kind of the office that is in the LDS church right now. They don't get revelation like Heber C. Kimball. He complained that the heavens were as brass to him and he'd never received any revelation from God. But he turns the word of wisdom into a commandment. It never was meant to be a commandment. It was meant to be a word of wisdom. It wasn't a sin. So, um, (laughs) excuse me, there's other things, too. They just change things without any revelation. They get this false prophet, Russell M. Nelson, who knows that they haven't gotten any revelations or miracles, so they want to make everything mundane into a miracle. And uh, it's better to have the faith that you didn't have your prayers answered and -and so-and-so died, Uh, you know, and and all these excuses because they know they don't have the fruit. They don't have any of the fruit. And then you get um, get Rusty. I'm just going to call him Rusty because I have no respect for this narcissistic asshole. And, uh, oh, by the way, this is a PG-13. I do that on purpose. Anyway... But uh, he he makes up stories about how he's flying in an airplane from Salt Lake City to St. George to go down and uh, set somebody apart or something. And uh, he's flying uh, two hours into his flight or whatever it is, an hour into his flight, and the engine of his plane blows up and burning fuel gets spread over the side of the airplane. And and they go into a death-dive spiral, barrel roll, to put the flames out. I think he saw too many old World War II movies. But anyway, and then the pilot was somehow able to start the other engine of this twin engine. And they were, in the nick of time, able to pull up and land in this farmer's field. Well, <laughs> I did a TikTok on this, and um, RFM and Bill Real actually did a really good episode, episode uh, 33 of Mormonism Live, where they went to the NTSB report, which is a federal reporting 
which if any of this stuff ever happens, ever, it has to be recorded by law. Uh, no, they didn't land at the farmer's field. They landed at the Dublin Municipal Airport because of an engine shutter, and they could have continued on to St. George, according to the report, but for precautionary reasons, they decided just to land to check out the engine and get another airplane there, and they, you know, whatever. There was no exploding engine. There was no burning fuel on anything. It never happened. And the, the, I don't know, it's just like the members of the church are so brainwashed into this delusion that they just believe everything that he has to say. And I know people are going to shut this, this off right now because they don't want to hear it. Well, you better hear it because all they, according to Second Thessalonians, all they who believe the lie of the false prophet receive strong delusions they all might be damned because they did not love the truth. And this man, this false prophet, is a liar. Hold on here. I'm, I'm going around the dead air turning castle. Now, am I breaking up at all? Not at all. He sound clear. Okay. I never know when I'm going to get cell phone service around certain points or when I'm not going to get it. Anyway, so... Um, you know, and it's not just Rusty Nelson, it's other people too, uh, that they continue to change and it's been changing. In fact, um, shortly after the death of Brigham Young, they started teaching that Jesus and Jehovah were the same person, even though in the early church they taught that Jesus was the, uh, you know, that Jehovah was the uh, father or grandfather of Jesus. So, I mean, you know, let's just change a little here and a little there, and over time you just change everything, and everything is completely gone. And that's why we do this radio program, because people in the church need to know that... Did you hear that? Very slightly. <laughs> I heard a dent. <laughs> yeah. Some dipwad stopped in the lane right in front of me and turned on his turn signal. There's a there's a middle lane for you, a suicide lane. And, uh, you know, I'm just a freaking uh, semi-truck pulling 100, and, no, like 64 tons. So about 128, 129,000 pounds and somebody decides to hit their brakes and stop. Anyway, but... Um, you know, the, the TBMs, they'll never listen, but but they do want, some of them do want deeper doctrine, you know, and the church, they're not getting it. And so uh, we do this radio show to show the difference, to teach the old school stuff and to show how the church has changed. So um, not a friend of the LDS church. I hate liars with a passion. That's why we will not go to the LDS church. In fact, I know this is a tangent, but um, mom met the bishop in the area that we're in, and she just let him have it, you know, because he was trying to be nice, and he wanted to know why we aren't coming to church. And it's because people in the church are backstabbing liars. You can't trust any of them. You know, uh, I mean, I know there's good people in the church, but... 
if you don't go along with what they believe, if you're not part of the morgue, then, uh, you know, you're, they'll make up stories about you and, uh, you know, try to ostracize you from the community and we're just not having it anymore, ever again. So, um, I'm sorry, I'm going on a rant, but I'm just going to say it. In the pre-existence, according to Mormon doctrine, we all fought for the right to have free agency. But in the church, Joseph Smith actually taught that he would rather, um, you know, allow people to have freedom of thought and all of that. But then Brigham Young comes along and he tries to control things. And then you get this, these control mechanisms within the church. And they want to punish people for not living up to their codes or their laws or their thoughts. You know, and if you have any kind of divergent uh, thought at all, you know, you're ostracized and you're put down and, you know, it's just become a cult. And that's not what we fought for in the pre-existence. And uh, it's become a cult and it pisses me off. It makes me angry and I hate the lies and there are many lies. You know, and I can go on and on and on. And I've been doing these radio shows now for, let's see, 2021, I started uh, co-hosting on a radio show in 2012, and I went live on my own program in January of 2014. And there's never, ever going to be a time when we can run out of material to talk about. So anyway, I'm going to mute myself. Um, I'm actually at hunting or hunter power south of Castledale, so uh, I'll just mute myself and uh, go ahead. What page are we on? What, 224, you said? Yes. Okay, good job. All right, I'll mute myself and I'll, uh, I'll rent later, I guess. Oh, no, I got to 225 and then I stopped. Uh, 224 was the last one. It was in the middle of that. I do remember this, though. <laughs> Anyways, continuing on. Um, I'm just going to read from there. To gain a place in a spiritual kingdom or church, one must become spiritual himself. Elder Bruce R. McConkie stated that as the church of Jesus Christ is his earthly church, so the church of the firstborn is the heavenly church, or his heavenly church. The Promised Messiah, McConkie, page 47. Elder McConkie describes the difference in agency, powers, and membership requirements for the two churches. The church on the earth is patterned after the church in heaven, where God himself is the president, lawgiver, and king. The church there is the administrative agency through which the Almighty governs the universe. Members of the earthly church who overcome by faith shall be the members of the church of the firstborn in the highest heaven of the celestial world. DNC Section 7651-54. Such persons, however, need not await that celestial day to gain a perfect knowledge of God in his heavenly kingdom. Through the power and authority of the higher, or Melchizedek, they have the privilege of receiving the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to have the heavens opened unto them, to commune, with the General Assembly and the Church of the Firstborn, and to enjoy the communion and presence of God the Father, and Jesus, the Mediator of the New Covenant, the Infused Section 107, 
18 to 19, Millennial Messiah, McConkie, page 123. Interestingly, there are references to keys associated with both the kingdom and the church, but there is rarely any mention of the keys connected with the church of the firstborn. Yet this church appears to be more spiritual, has a greater glory, and is a higher objective for faithful saints. Uh, page 255, uh, anything to say? No, I mean, I will interrupt you when I have something to say. Okay. I will remember that, hopefully. <laughs> Continuing on. <clears throat> Receiving higher ordinances of the gospel does help to qualify one to become a member of the Church of the Firstborn. Brigham Young said, the ordinances of the house of God are expressly for the church of the firstborn. Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 154. And Elder McConkie expressed the same view. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who so devote themselves to righteousness that they receive the higher ordinances of exaltation become members of the church of the firstborn. Baptism is the gate to the church itself. But celestial marriage is the gate to membership in the church of the firstborn. The inner circle of faithful saints who are heirs of exaltation and the fullness of the Father's kingdom. Mormon Doctrine, McConkie, page 139. The Lord gave a short summary of some of the necessary steps to become a member of the church of the firstborn. Ugh, I have hiccups. That's not good. And again we bear records for we saw and heard. This is the testimony of the gospel of Christ concerning them who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. They are they who received the testimony of Jesus and believed on his name and were baptized after the manner of his burial, being buried in water in his name, and this according to the commandment by which he is given, that by keeping the commandments they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit, laying on of hands on the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. And who overcome by faith are sealed upon by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father shed forth upon all those who are just and true. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. They are they whose hands the Father has given all things. They are they who are priests and kings who have received his fullness and of his glory. Received of his fullness and of his glory. DNC section 76, uh, verses 50 to 56, we're on page 226, and he's not interrupting me, so I'm going to continue. To list these qualifications, the candidates first receive the testimony of Jesus, second are baptized by immersion, third have or, or keep the commandments, fourth have the Holy Spirit for a guide, fifth overcome by faith, sixth are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, seven receive all things from the Father. Eight become priests and kings, and nine receive the gods or receive of God's fullness and glory. <clears throat> the Lord gives further information about those who become members of the Church of the Firstborn. These are they who are just men made perfect. DNC section seventy six uh, sixty nine. These are they whose bodies are celestial. Uh, Seventy of the same thing. These. Or they see as they are seen and know as they are known. DNC section 7690. Another comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life, even the glory of the celestial kingdom. DNC section 88, verses 3 to 4. And all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory of the same, 
and are the church of the firstborn. BNC section 93, uh, verse 22. What does he mean when we are begotten, or we are begotten through him? This is a very important mystery, which has seldom been explained. Page 227. First of all, Paul said, Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. But he said that, or he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, Hebrew uh, chapter 5, verse 5. How could, the, or how could the father say to his 30-year-old son, Today I have begotten thee? Again, God told Joseph Smith, All those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory of the same, and are the church of the firstborn. BNC section 90, oh, 93, verse 22. Uh, Peter also mentions the special blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus, for, or Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter uh, verse, or chapter 1, verse 3. All mortals were once spirit children born of a father, but only a few belong to the church of the firstborn. So only those few members are somehow begotten through the Lord in some manner, with some other with some other meaning, almost as if it were some kind of new birth. John the Beloved clarified it a little better. Hold on. Okay. I don't know what happened to him, but... Um, oh, I was muted. Oh, you said hold you on, and then you just never came back. No, I didn't, but you... That dead air is never good. So what was going on? Yeah. Oh, I really, really had the cough really bad, and I thought I just muted it and unmuted it, but I guess I didn't mute or unmute. Oh, well, I didn't hear you coughing, but anyway, <laughs> so what page I guess are I we on now? And didn't unmute. Uh, I just read the 228, um, but I don't know if that's accurate. What do you know? Why do you not think it's accurate? Um, because I muted. Uh, for a few seconds, and then I read, unmuted, and continued reading. Oh, okay. So what you're going to do is you're going to go back to 227, and you're going to oh, read... I know where I stopped reading at. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I uh, said, but finally we're... it all becomes clearer. Yeah, and we're 54% through the reading for tonight. So um, just letting people one. know... Yeah, guest call-in number. Well, when I talk a lot, um, it just makes the program go way, way, way longer. So I'm trying not to talk as much. But anyway, um, yeah, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's a Manhattan area code number. Manhattan, New York, New York, New York, whatever. Anyway, so, uh, you know. Uh, the phone lines are open. So anyway, um, if you have anything to say, any comments, whatever, push, push one. Uh, go ahead with the reading, Emmett. Okay, I'm going to continue on. Yay. <laughs> but it finally it all becomes clear. Oh, I started that wrong. But finally it all becomes much clearer in the writings of Mosiah. And now, because of the covenant which he hath made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters, for behold. 
This day he has spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. And therefore ye are born of him and have become his sons and daughters. Mosiah chapter 5 verse 7. Page 228. There are many, many people who believe on Jesus and have accepted some of the gospel ordinances and have even received offices in his church. But they have never had their hearts changed through the faith on his name, or through faith on his name, and have never been born of him. Thus, they cannot belong to the church of the firstborn. Apparently, there are three different levels when one is begotten. First, born as a spirit in the premortal world. Second, born as a mortal. And lastly, third, born again spiritually through the Holy Spirit. Because so little has been revealed about the church of the firstborn, we must rely on the inspiration and understanding of those who have learned more about this distinctive church. The following eight references by Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, Orson Pratt, Joseph Fielding Smith, and Bruce R. McConkie should increase our understanding of this important organization. Important organization. First, Brigham Young. Okay, I got something to say before we get into this. Just because somebody said something doesn't mean that they got it from God. Plenty of men speculate. We can't just put our trust in the flesh. In fact, we're told not to do that all the time. So if you're reading, and I find out fundamentalists are just ridiculous. Well, so-and-so said this, and they, like, misinterpret what they say. And then, you know, there's things that Joseph Smith talked about at the beginning of his ministry and God set him straight, you know. So he was corrected in the later part of his life about, you know, something he was wrong about. But people will still go back and quote the crap that, that he thought before he was corrected. As though, well, Joseph Smith said it, so it must be true. Now, Joseph Smith taught when I speak as a prophet, meaning when I get thus saith the Lord's revelation, you know, I'm a prophet, and I'm giving the word of God, or the oracle of God, which means the words of God is delivered by the prophet, not the prophet itself. Um, you know, then I'm speaking as a prophet, but there's plenty of times he was speaking as a man. And then there's another thing which uh, I'm familiar with, where God shows me something. I'll have a vision or a really awesome dream or something, and then... I completely misinterpret what, you know, and so what I do, is I'll say, Heavenly Father, this is what I think you're showing me. This is what I think is going on. And then if it's true, the Spirit will increase. I'll get confirmation of the Holy Spirit. If it's wrong, the Spirit withdraws from me, and I have to study it out more. And sometimes God says, no, that, that's not right. This is the way it is. And I still have to go back, even after he tells me directly. I still have to go back and make sure that what what I am interpreting is correct. You know, so just because somebody says something, it can be true, but you might misinterpret it, but it could also be speculation of men. And that's why you got to get revelation for, uh, from God for yourself. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Brigham Young. The secretarian world, the secretarian world as we call them, is a professed church of God without the priesthood. Secretarians have not the priesthood, but all of them who live according to the best light and intelligence they can obtain. Yep. The sectarian, the sect, 
sectarian world, not the secretarian world. There is no secretarian world. I don't know where that world is. Maybe it's a world in one of your video games, but it doesn't belong on this radio program. It's the sectarian well, world. All that know? means is that because I know all, most everything about that subject, kind of. Anyway, um, so it's, when he talks, anytime it talks about the sectarian world, it's talking about, um, you know, religion. Religion without priesthood or revelation. That's the sectarian. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's not sectarian world. So anyway, go ahead. I'm going to reread that quote. <laughs> the sectarian world, as we call them, is a professed, a professed church of God without the priesthood. Sectarians have not the priesthood, but all of them who live according to the best light and intelligence they can obtain through, through faithfulness to what they believe, as taught unto them, will receive a kingdom and glory that will far transcend all their expectations, imaginations, or visions in their most excited moments, whether in their falling down power, jumping power, or squalling power. All they have desired or anticipated they will receive, and far more. But they cannot dwell with the Father and Son unless they go through the, or those ordeals that are ordained for the church of the firstborn. The ordinances of the house of God are expressly for the church of the firstborn. Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 154. And run page 229 now. John Taylor, we are placed in this world to prove us. What shall we do? Why fear the Lord and do the best we can, trusting in him? If we do that, all is right pertaining to the future. But what are we aiming at? Am I looking for a celestial glory? I want to be associated with the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in the heavens, and with prophets and apostles, and with all the holy men of God who are inspired with the same hopes, who lived generations ago, as well as with such men who now live. Journal of Discourses, Volume 18, page 311. Wilford Woodruff. What joy, consolation, and satisfaction it will be to the apostles, elders, and saints of God of this day, who will remain true and faithful to the end, having become members of the Church of the Firstborn, and been valiant in the testimony of Jesus, when they met Father Adam, Enoch, Jacob, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, and the apostles, their joy will be. They labored in their day for the work of God, and their toils are over. We are having our day and end our labor. By and by we shall meet and mingle in the eternal world. Journal of Discourses, section, or not section, volume 13, page 169. Orson Pratt. Orson Pratt has a couple of these. Now his will must be done on the earth as it is in heaven, in order that we, or in order that that prayer which has been offered up by his people ever since it was revealed may be fulfilled to the very letter. Hence the great necessity of the Latter-day Saints preparing themselves by being united, even as the hosts of heaven are. For remember that the Apostle Paul says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in the one all things in Christ, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. If then the church or the general assembly and church of the firstborn 
are to come down out of heaven and dwell on the earth, how important is it that the Latter-day Saints should be prepared to join this grand company? Being united as they are, having no feeling of dissension, no division in their midst, no evil or corruption of any nature, no covetedness, uh, yeah, covetedness, no feeling of individuality in regard to wealth, but having all upon the altar ready to subserve the purposes of the Most High in building up his kingdom upon the earth. Journal of Discourses, Volume 18, pages 365 to 366. We are now on page 230. I'm going to take a drink and pass. Now, Matt? Yep. Has Mom started the dinner? I already started it before I did the radio show. Okay. Um, just um, when you guys take out the macaroni and cheese, can you put some back in and let it burn a little bit? Because I like it. You know how I like it. Yeah. I will. Yeah, and then just leave it in the oven so I can grab it when I get home. Okay. Um, one of the things, uh, okay, so I, I, I'm not forcing Emmett or my wife to read or anything like this. But Emmett likes to learn about things, and he like thinks this is interesting so uh so he does enjoy reading it and i'm glad he does because um i want him to know what you know what the deal is with why we don't go to church and how things have changed and he actually understands so much more than many adult members because of his um because of the stuff that we read you know so um although i would like him to go to seminary because I think it would be funny. That would be a great I think it would be hilarious. Troll. Yeah, I I love it. But um, he actually chose his courses yesterday. Was it yesterday in high school? Yeah, it was like the yesterday or the day before. And I got so many courses that I wanted. That's awesome. And next year, uh, I have the majority of like my credits and requirements done. So I'm just going to take a bunch of CE and CTE classes so I can get college credit and know things, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And then you'll probably be in robotics again this year and in the yep. farmer thing that you do with your... The future Farmers of silky, America. Your silky yeah, chickens. I got magic chickens that have fur instead of feathers. Yeah, they look like little bunny rabbits with beaks. They're funny, and no big ears, but they're called silkies. Anyway, um, I just think it's funny, and I know I'm going off on a tangent, but Emmett, tell them what classes that you're taking. Um, I'm taking uh, emergency medical responder. Next year I'm going to take anatomy, but I'm not able to this year. Uh, I'm taking mythology because I thought that would be awesome to learn about, and it's like one of the I'm jealous. <laughs> Uh, I'm also taking, so there's mythology, I'm taking, you know, math, I'm taking an an honors CE physics class, <laughs> uh, I get college credit for doing it, and it's with a lab, and it's the only physics class, physics class they have with a lab, too, so that's yeah. awesome. Um, I'm also taking ceramics, because I need an art one for this year and for next year, 
And there's a couple other ones. Psychology, I thought that would be fun, and it's also one of the sections that's required is part of it. And there's a bunch of others <laughs> that I can't remember Mom off the top of my head. Laughing. Mom was actually laughing because there was college or there was classes that he's taking for fun that are like way advanced, but he thinks it's fun. So, and I'm glad that he does because actually, I wasn't able to finish high school because my aunt, who was taking care of me in 1994, pulled me out a month before 10th grade ended, and. Um, made me get a job, and then a month later she just left with her kids, and they left. And I was on my own after that. So that fall of 1994, I just uh, tested out of my GED. It took me two days to take the test. No prep classes. I was done. And I even got like a 97% overall score. Uh, which they said was honors. And so I got my honors GED, um, and I wasn't able to go back to any kind of uh, education other than college later on in life. But um, so Emmett has actually surpassed me in a way, and I'm happy because I wish I wanted to stay in school. And um, I loved school. I was... uh, you know, the classes I was taking were fun, and I was on swim team, and I had been a wrestler, and I was a manager of track, and uh, it all got ripped out from underneath me. So, uh, so Emmett is uh, going to have fun in, in his 11th grade year this year. So, and um, But like I said, he likes to learn and he enjoys reading these things. And, in fact, last week, I think, no, it was two weeks ago, I was like, I'm just going to pre-record a show so that it can be done. And uh, he was like, oh, I want to read, I want to read. So I was like, fine, I guess we'll go live again. So, anyway, um, did you have anything to say about what we've been reading tonight other than this is all interesting? <laughs> Uh, you're muted, Emma. Emma, I can't hear you. Oh, boy, I was muted. Woo. <laughs> I know that's why um, I said, uh, you're muted, Emma. Anyway. And uh, I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, yes, I do think are. that the majority of it is pretty interesting. I think the fact that there's so many, like, there's just this one section of quotes at the very beginning that's, like, ridiculously long. <laughs> that's really annoying. Well, I think that the Church reason the they put that school. there, the reason they put that there is because it's not taught a whole lot in uh, the LDS church today about this church of the firstborn. And I think Ogden wanted people to realize, yeah, it actually is talked about in the scriptures in a lot of places. And, you know, a whole bunch of quotes from past leaders. So I think that's why he put that in there. But uh, he didn't, like, I'm not going on a chase to find them all because I just am not. So um, anyway, but that's why he put that there. So, uh I guess you can continue reading. Now, I am by the airport, and I am going north 
to Carbon County. And you know how it is in that little area. So um, I'll probably be breaking up a little bit, but I will interrupt you if I have anything to say. Okay. I'm uh, continuing on. Uh, Orson Pratt, again. The sun is a very glorious body, and when you look upon it, so great is the light that you can scarcely see surrounding objects. But the light of the sun is nothing to be compared with the glory of that personage who shall appear when the heavens shall be unveiled or unfolded like a scroll. The light of the sun will dwindle away, and he shall hide his face with shame. <laughs> who will be with Jesus when he appears? The decree has gone forth, saying, My apostles who were with me in Jerusalem shall be clothed in glory, or clothed <laughs> in glory, and be with me. The brightness of their uh, countenance will shine forth with all that refulgence and fullness of splendor that shall surround the Son of Man when he appears. There will be all those personages to whom he alludes. There will be all the former day saints. Enoch and his city, with all the greatness and splendor that surround them, there will be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as they sit upon their thrones, together with all the persons that have been redeemed and brought near unto the presence of God. All will be unfolded and unveiled, and all this will be for the wicked to look upon, as well as the righteous. For the wicked will not as yet have been destroyed. When this takes place, there will be Latter-day Saints living upon the earth, and they will ascend and mingle themselves with that vast throng. That is a weird word. For they will be filled with anxiety to go where the saints of the Church of the Firstborn are, and the Church of the Firstborn will feel an anxiety to come and meet with the saints on the earth. And this will bring the general assembly of the redeemed into one. And thus will be fulfilled the saying of Paul. In the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 51. And we are on page 231 now. Hold on. Okay. Joseph Fielding Smith. The scriptures say that the eternal life, or that eternal life, which is the life possessed by our eternal Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, is the greatest gift of God. Only those shall receive it who are cleansed from all sin. It is promised to those who overcome by faith and are sealed by the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. They are they who, into whose hands the Father has given all things. DNC section 76, uh, verse 52 to 55. The Way to Perfection, page 22. Bruce R. McConkie. When a man has his calling and election made sure, then it will be his privilege to receive the other comforter, the second comforter, the prophet Joseph Smith tells us. Now, what is this other comforter? Comforter. His answer, it is no more, no less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is the sum and substance of the whole matter, that when any man obtains the last comforter, he will have the personage of Jesus Christ to attend him, or appear to him from time to time, and even he will manifest the Father unto him, 
and they will take up their abode with him. And the visions of the heavens will be opened unto him. And the Lord will teach him face to face, and he may have a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And this is the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Enough. And this is the state and place the ancient saints arrived at when they had such glorious visions. Isaiah, Ezekiel, John upon the Isle of Patmos, St. Paul in the three heavens, and all the saints who held the communion with the General Assembly and the Church of the Firstborn. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, uh, PP, 150-51. A new witness for the Articles of Faith, page 489-499. Uh, Bruce R. McConkie. The Church of the Firstborn is the Church... 498, 498 did not say that. No, you said 489. Oh, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> the Church of the Firstborn is the Church among exalted beings in the highest heaven of the celestial world. It is the Church among those, or, yeah, among those for whom the family unit continues in eternity. In a sense, it is the inner circle within the Lord's Church on Earth. It is composed of those who have entered into that patriarchal order which is called the New and Everlasting Covenant of Marriage, as baptism admits repentant souls to membership in the earthly church, so celestial marriage opens the door to membership in the heavenly church. IBID, uh, it's the last one, except for page 333, or 37. Uh, We are in page 232 now. Apparently, the Church of the Firstborn is not a visible church that one can join. It is not a church established by man, nor does man control it. It is not a church we can ask for keys to gain membership. The Church of the Firstborn is for those who have faithfully used the keys of the priesthood and have proved themselves worthy of that membership. It is more of a reward than an ordination. The Church of Jesus Christ is a physical church. The Church of the Firstborn is a spiritual church. I like this concept. That's pretty interesting. They who dwell in his presence are the church of the firstborn, and they see as they are seen, and know as they are known, having received of his fullness and of his grace. E.N.C. section 76, verse 94. Those who are raised to join the ranks of all the great prophets, apostles, patriarchs, and kings will be members of the church of the firstborn. Will they meet together like any other church? Apparently so, as one of the meetings will occur when Jesus will again drink of the fruit of the vine, with all those great men and with all those whom my Father hath given me out of the world. See D&C, section 27, verses 5 to 14. And we are in page 233 in the beginning of chapter 14. Anything to say? I'm in a bad spot. Well, that's not good. Um... Well, I guess I'm going to read the first page of this next uh, chapter. Uh, the chapter is called "Doctrine and Keys of the Kingdom" on page one or on page 233 of Holy Priesthood, Volume Six, okay. and in the Ensigns of the Nations, it is page 1003. Yeah, I was just going through that little mountain gap, hill, whatever, and then the out of Emory County. 
Yeah, the the guest call in number, uh, I think you probably gave it, but it's 917-889-8827. And uh, we'll take phone calls if there are any. Uh, Emmett, can you check in the studio and see if anybody has uh, said anything in there, uh, in the chat room? Uh, not right now. Aries is making noise. Hold on. You can't uh, check it because okay. Arius is making noise. Did you refresh it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, go ahead and read like a page or two of the next chapter so we know what we're getting into tomorrow. And we'll be back on tomorrow at 8 p.m. So uh, if we don't have any callers, that's fine. Uh, we'll just end the program. Go ahead and met with uh, the intro to the next program. Okay, hold on. Okay, sorry it was taking so long. I really had to run to the bathroom there for a second. Like, yeah. Um, Continuing on, uh, I'm going to read the first couple of pages of Chapter 14, Doctrine and Keys in the Kingdom. And I give unto you a commandment that you shall teach one another the doctrine of the kingdom. D and C section eighty seven or eighty eight, verse seventy seven. The doctrines of the kingdom are the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the keystone to exaltation, exaltation, and the pathway to the celestial kingdom. They should be valued as one of the greatest treasures on the earth. The problem with learning the doctrine of the kingdom is that it requires much searching, study, and faithful obedience to its commandments. There are uh, oh, there are so many false doctrines of devils contending the doctrines of modern Christianity and changed doctrines in the Church of Jesus Christ, and God's or that God's true doctrines are not easy to find. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ have always had difficulty in accepting and learning and maintaining the doctrines of the kingdom, since most of them are not popular with the world. Church members are often persuaded to substitute more accepted policies for difficult doctrines. There is a significant difference between policy and doctrine. Policy is not an eternal truth, and it frequently changes with the times, conditions, opinions, social life, and wishes of its members. And we're on page 234, and I'm going to finish this uh, next page. When the doctrines of the priesthood are treated in the same manner, apostasy has begun its work. Policy changes frequently. Doctrine remains fixed. In matters of true doctrine, there is no conflict between living and dead prophets. Truth is consistent, truth is consistent and doctrines of the priesthood are eternal. Keys of the priesthood seldom have anything to do with policies, but rather with the doctrines of the kingdom of the doctrines of the kingdom. Dwayne Crosser Krauser wrote The author has often encountered those who, consciously or unconsciously, have attempted to establish or observe false standards of what is doctrine. Certainly doctrine is not determined by such superficial standards as was it printed by the church? Is it carried by Deseret Book? or in Deseret Book? Wasn't that book written in the temple? Etc. 
man, that is it carried in death threat book thing especially. They like ban a lot of books that could be considered doctrine very easily. Doctrine is not determined by when it was said, where it was said, where it was written, who is the author, who published it, and who owns the copyright, etc. Thus saith the Lord, Crosser, or Crosser, page 254. The question obviously should be, is it true? Duane presented a list of points that help to identify correct doctrine. Doctrine comes from the Father through Jesus Christ. Doctrine is sacred and represents an attribute of godliness. Doc, or God's doctrines are revealed statements of eternal truth, saving principles, or aspects of his plan of salvation. God's doctrine explains man's relationship to Christ. Doctrine serves as a standard of, con- of conduct. Doctrine is closely related to the gospel of Christ. Doctrine is recorded in the scriptures. Church workers and leaders sometimes preach incorrect doctrines. Doctrines are to be taught to one another by the saints. Satan seeks to lead men astray through false doctrine. Thus saith the Lord, Crother, page 247. And we are on page 235 now, and I'm going to stop reading. Okay. Reading? Yeah, so I thought it was funny when he saw, was it written in the temple? The book he's talking about is Jesus the Christ, and I have a, a story to tell about that book. So I love Jesus the Christ by James Talmadge. Love it. Um, I think it was published in, like, 1921 or something like that, a long time ago, right? And there's a lot of false doctrine that doesn't, or it conflicts with uh, early Mormon stuff in that book, uh, especially about Jesus and Jehovah and all that. Book, oh, like, I'm not you even broke up a tiny bit. making... I've read that book, Jesus the Christ, literally probably 30 or 40 times. I love that book. But on, I think it's page 35, James Talmadge writes that the true name of Jesus Christ was Yeshua or Yehoshua, and his mother would have called him Yeshi. And he goes into why... It's Jesus and all of this. All right, so I showed my bishop in my singles ward when I was like 29 that uh, that book. And he's all, oh, oh the, the modern leaders today, they say his name is Jesus Christ. And I was like, James Talmadge was an apostle and he wrote this book in the Salt Lake Temple. I don't care what he says. He's contradicting uh, the leaders today, and they say his name is Jesus Christ. That's the ignorance that you get in the leadership, the the local leadership of the church. So there's been bishops and stake presidents, and I'll bring up points of doctrine. I used to anyway. I don't have anything to do with them anymore. But <coughs> excuse me. Um, I'll bring up points of doctrine, and they're always always the same. I've always got this answer. Well, I'm no theologian. And I'm always like, if you're no theologian, how are you supposed to guard against false doctrine when it's taught in the church if you don't even know what the doctrine is? Like, this church is full of Babylonian businessmen who are chosen because of their business standing and their riches, wearing the wolves or the, the wolves suit of wool clothing, <laughs> whatever, the wolves' clothing of wool suits, you know, but 
that's, you know, it, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. It just drives me insane. And these people are hemorrhaging members left and right because they don't know what to do, because they don't even know how to defend against the anti-Mormon crap that comes along or their own doctrine. And they're going to fight against former leaders of the church because Rusty says his name is Jesus. I have news for you. The King James Version of the Bible was first published in 1611. The J, the letter J, wasn't invented until after the publishing of the 1611 King James Version of the Bible. And Jesus' name used to be Jesus. Ah, you know? And, uh, oh, there's no J sounds in the Hebrew alphabet, and there is no J in the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet either. It's a transliteration that went from Yeshua, Yeshua, or Yehoshua, which means Jehovah saves, to or he shall save his people. Uh, and uh, the Greeks couldn't say, couldn't pronounce it right, so they would say Yeshu, Yeshu, or Isus, or whatever. And it's gone through this many different transliterations, and now we say Jesus. And, and is, is that old bishop going to freak out because some Spanish person called calls him Jesus, you know, get over yourself. These members of the LDS church, they are so guilty of so many things that are just an abomination. And what do I mean by that? If you act in such a way where members of your church are leaving because of how you act, that is the sin next to, uh, next to death, uh, murder. Because it's a spiritual murder. It has nothing to do with sexual sin. If you are acting in such a way where people don't want to be part of the church, like Rusty Nelson, when he's caught in his lies, his blatant lies, and pretends to be a prophet of God, I don't know how anybody can see through that. that thing. He, he is, oh, you're breaking up. I know. I'm on wash plants. You said, I don't know how anyone could see through that, and it was on and off for a little bit, and then you, like, said, I know I'm on watch plant, and it was clear. <laughs> oh, okay. I just was saying, I don't know how anybody can accept that man as a prophet, but it just goes to show the delusion of they who believe a lie received strong delusion because they are, so they all might be damned because they didn't love the truth, and that applies directly to the Latter-day Saints. They don't love the truth. They only love what their false prophets tell them and how their false prophets change doctrines and they invoke policies and they lie in the name of God in the midst of his house and say that they're coming up with revelations which are simply policies. And if they're any kind of revelation at all, it's just the revelation of the devil. So um, when Alton Perry came to meet me, in 2004, after I wrote President Hinckley my uh, my letter about my experience in 95, where I was taken into the Salt Lake Temple by Jesus Christ, this is before my conversion, I was taken up into the middle tower on the east side of the temple, and I was in the presence of the Father and the Spirit anyway. And uh, 
and I wrote diagram. I drew diagrams of what was in that room. Now nobody's supposed to know that there's even a room there. There are two holy of holies in the temple. One is where the father is. That's the father's, you know. And then there's another one by the celestial room. That's for Jesus Christ. I went into the father's holy of holies because I am a witness of the father. This is the work of the father. Anyway, but um, I wrote that letter to, to President Hinckley, and I was dating his niece at the time, actually, great niece, and I actually married her. So I was part of the family through marriage. But anyway, this is before we got married. And uh, I was sitting next to my ex-wife, Rebecca, when um, my state president actually called me said, you know, somebody wants to come meet you, so make, make sure to be in Sacrament 30 minutes early. And uh, he'll meet you. And anyway, so he came in. It was Al Perry that wanted to come meet me. And he wanted to talk with me about my experience in the Holy of Holies. And he had this huge grin on his face, and he slapped me on the back, and he said, well, God's the one that chooses his prophets, because we sure don't, because they know. They have to put on this face because of crap that's going on behind the scenes you don't know about. You know, and I believe El Tom Perry was actually murdered. Um, I watched the last conference talk of El Tom Perry in April of 2015, and a month later, he was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, and a week after that, he died because of thyroid cancer. The easiest, that a form of cancer which is the easiest to to treat, but it killed him quickly. It, not an aggressive form of cancer at all. And um, not long after that, um, I think it was Richard G. Scott died. Um, Boyd K. Packer died. They all died really close to each other. You know, and then um, the only one between Ellen um, Rusty Nelson was uh, made the uh, president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles during that time. And all he had to do was wait for this old man with dementia, Thomas Monson, to die, and then it was all his. So, um, now, I did want to say one other thing, okay. Um, Back when I started doing my radio show in 2014, I had an individual contact me several times through letters, and I actually went and met this person. I'm not going to say her name or give you any details about her because I'm protecting her identity. (sighs) Our dad was one of the high ups in church security. And he had a briefcase and nobody was allowed to go in that briefcase. Well, the mother decided she was going to go snooping around and she found damnable evidence of the dark side of the LDS church. Uh, she found books with uh, trigger words. I don't know what they call them, like the mentoring candidate. Yeah, details on things that were just really bad. And um, this woman's mother threatened to go public with the information. And lo and behold, she died of an insulin overdose. Now, what really upsets my friend, who I'm still uh, in contact with a little bit, her mom would, was not diabetic. She had no reason to have insulin. But she died of an insulin overdose. That's how they get rid of you. That's one of the, the best ways because 
keep the, the police department in Salt Lake City. They're all tied up with the power structure of the secret combination that's in the church. And they just write down accidental overdose or something like that, insulin overdose. But And then they threatened the daughter that if she said anything, that they would do the same to her. You know, and so uh, I'm going through uh, cat scratch. Um, I don't know what it is. The past. Hold on. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can. Uh, my tablet just died out of the blue, like it shut off or whatever, so I'm resetting it. Okay. Anyway, what I was saying was before I was going through that cut in Wellington, um, they threatened her as well. And so I was talking to Kevin Kraut about this, and Kevin Kraut has heard a lot of these kind of stories before, a lot. He has a lot more information. So people come to him because he's the son of Ogden Kraut, they tell him things. And so uh, the other day, new name Noah, uh, Mike Norton, he said, oh, you're insane. That I was in church security. That never happens or something like that. And I was like, dude, there are levels within church security, and you may not have been in the levels where that crap happens because they have to vet you first. But, you know, um, and I like Mike Norton. I think he's hilarious. Um, sometimes I'm like, God, he's kind of an asshole, but like, I still like him, you know, but, um, just because you are in church security doesn't mean you know what is going on in the top level. So I don't know. I, he said I was insane and you know what? Maybe I am. And for all of those out there that think I'm nuts and I know there's a lot, I know there's a lot of ex Mormons who like to listen to this radio show. And then they write me little things, and they're all like, you're nuts, and you need to get help, whatever. Um, okay, if I am mentally ill, um, I have a family with five kids. We have a 10-acre farm. I've been driving a semi-truck for 25 years with no accidents and no tickets. I'm not having delusions while I'm driving. Um, I have a very healthy marriage with my wife in a very healthy relationship with my children. And, um, you know, and if I am delusional, well, I'm enjoying my delusions. So uh, why would I want to get help? If he's delusional, he's really good at faking not being it. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, and you seem pretty sane too. to me. Yeah, and there's other things, too. Like, people around me have seen some of the stuff that happens. Like, for instance, Emmett is a secondhand witness. Like, he's never seen me uh, where the countenance of God shines upon me, but other people have, and they've told him. Like, that guy over at the pool, what's his face, that black guy? Yeah. Uh, oh, it's been forever since we talked to him. Ah, I don't yeah. remember his name. Yeah, but other people have seen things, too. And, like, Joshua Sparks, he saw the father and the son, or, well, the father put his hands on my head. You know, um, Emmett can remember when I commanded the wind to be still, and then the wind was just still. It was done. It was like 70-mile-an-hour wind gusts. I was going to, like, have my semi-truck blown over, and then I command the wind to, to stop, and it just stops. 
like weird and stuff. And my mom like and that. I got mad at him. Yeah, because it was hot. <laughs> it was like a million <laughs> degrees out, but it was windy up the canyon, like where he was. So it was nice and cool where we were because we were like a few miles away from him. And then it was no, all of a sudden I, we had gone to the store. We had gone to the store. Yeah. Okay. We were right. awake. I said we were away from you. We were oh. we were going to the store. We went for a walk because it was nice and breezy out, right? We go to the store, and on the way back, there's no wind, no nothing. It's a million degrees. And uh, I believe yeah, and I you was called like, her. She called you. Like, <laughs> no, I called her because I was excited because I had never. So God told me to command the wind to stop, and I was like, oh, I didn't even know I had that power. So I did what God, exactly how God showed me. And I commanded the wind to stop, and it just stopped really quick. And then I was excited because I've never done, I've never controlled the elements before that point. I have since. But um, I was excited. And then Kim was all like, really? You couldn't wait till I got home because it was like a nice day down there. It was really windy, but it was still like not dying hot. So, and then there's that time when you yeah. saw Satan. I remember some of that. Uh, not very much, though, because that was forever in a day ago. Yeah, I was in Connecticut. Um, yeah, and I also remember what you told me about that night, because you didn't bless the hotel and you nearly died. <laughs> oh, yeah, tell people about that. I'm not... So I only remember bits and pieces uh, from that night and, like, what he told me about it. Um, but he said we would have to bless the hotel after I told him that I saw Satan. Um, I didn't tell him that specifically, but I told him, like, I described this man, and I told him what I felt about it, and he said that. Um, but anyways, so we get back to the hotel, and everyone goes to bed, and apparently, like, sometime in the middle of the night, my dad starts getting choked by something. My mom wakes up, and like, what the heck is wrong? And he's choking, and he's being choked by something. And my mom doesn't an see unseen, anyone there. There's no one there. There's an unseen force yeah. pushing me down into the bed, choking me. And my skin was literally not, it was vibrating. I didn't have my shirt on because I was going to take a shower because I still had my swimsuit on with my towel wrapped around my swimsuit. Laying on the bed, waiting for the kids to get on with their showers. And three large demons come in the room and try to kill me. And... Um, Kim saw it, and she didn't know what was going on. This is right after we saw Luke, or Satan. And uh, lots of people in my family have seen Satan because he follows me around because guess what? I took his place, and he doesn't like me. I'm like enemy number one now that Jesus has done what he's done. I'm, you know, he was first, first enemy, I'm second enemy, whatever. And I'm in mortality, and I'm, you know, so he attacks me all the freaking time. So, um, you know, all my life, Ever since I was five years old, these things have been happening to me. And I, I'm not the only one that sees it. There's a lot of paranormal crap that happens around me. And that actually got me interested in a weird way in the afterlife and the spirit world because I knew there was something else there because of all the crap that Satan used to throw at me all the time. But anyway, we're in Connecticut. Emmett sees Satan standing over there. And I knew exactly who he was. And I don't know when, I know when I see him and I just ignore him. But Emmett saw him standing there. And I said, don't worry about him, Emmett. He's here for me. He won't bother you. And later on that night, 
three very large demons came into the room and tried to kill me. And um, Kim didn't know what was going on because my whole body is vibrating, not in the sense of, um, what do they call it when you shake a lot? A seizure? Yeah, it wasn't a seizure. Like, Mom said, it was like a... And I've never... <laughs> yeah, I was vibrating in a very strange way, not like a seizure. Anyway, so I finally am able to command them in my mind to, to depart, and I fly up off of the bed, and I raise both arms to the square, and I commanded them to leave by my authority in the name of Messiah, because I hold that office. And and then I bless the room, and I I usually bless wherever I'm sleeping at, no matter where it is, but I forgot that night. So, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm crazy, but there's all, a whole bunch of secondary witnesses that have seen things and are, uh, you know, so whatever. I don't even care uh, if people accept me or reject me. That's between you and God, but the experiences that I have are very real to me. And uh, also, um, I love God with all my heart, and I care about truth. And when I see this gaslighting and these lies between early Mormon doctrine and the modern-day church, it pisses me off to no end. And the control and the the cult-like mentality that this church has been, uh, you know, that this church has become, uh, it just shows that the house is out of order. And Jesus said in section 85 that the house of God would be out of order and God would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order. And how he does that according to Isaiah chapter 28 when he goes among the drunkards of Ephraim, which is the church and everyone who's been a member of the church, he goes and they... I don't know why Emmett is talking in the background, and I can hear him, and I don't know why he's mute, not, not muted, but... Uh, I uh, accidentally bumped it into my pocket. I was in the other room talking to mom. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. Oh, my gosh, these people talk too much. Of course I talk too much. I don't talk to them, though. Anyway, what was happening... Oh, I went into the kitchen because I heard Mom earlier yelling at everyone about a huge mess. And apparently they made a big mess while I was doing the radio show. And she was all mad about it. And there was this whole thing with a popsicle and Aries eating blueberries and ice cream. And apparently (laughs) my phone got unmuted in my pocket. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, so I was just saying that, um, you know, I'm going to expose the lies, and I'm going to teach the doctrine of the restoration, the doctrine of the restoration, uh, you know, and I'm going to teach the early early church stuff uh, so people know how much the church has changed, and I'm going to continue doing it, and um, even though I don't get anything for it, I don't have people, like, sending me praises, and uh, in fact, I get death threats, um, you know, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it until the day I die. Because I hate lying that much. I hate it when people are controlling other people because that's never what the plan of salvation ever was about. We're on this earth 
to go through experiences to help us to to gain knowledge so that we can gain a better resurrection than the resurrection that we once had. And I know that that's doctrinal blasphemy according to modern members of the LDS Church, but it was taught in the early church. The lecture at the Grove, Joseph Smith talked about these things, you know, and God gave me a grand secret. When we put, when we are resurrected, we're damned in that resurrection and in that state of resurrection unless we're exalted. But the secret is that when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, we put off the resurrection and choose to go into a new life so we can gain more knowledge and more experience and learn and continue and to, pre- to progress and grow. It's called the doctrine of eternal life. I know, but I mean so, like the act of doing that and going and living another life yeah, on another earth. That's multiple mortal relations. Yeah, and the devil's, the, the devil's version of that is reincarnation, which I don't believe. So anyway, um, you know, this life we're given to die once and then the judgment. But after the judgment, if we gain a level of uh, of any level of resurrection, we can put off that resurrection and go on to a new earth and gain more experience, and a new Savior will redeem us from the fall on that world. And uh, that's all part of the progression of the gods and the doctrine of eternal lives. And whether or not, you know, any of the crap that the anti-Mormons spew about him is true, about having all these underage wives and taking other people's wives and doing all this money digging and all this crap, I don't care. I know that doctrine's true. I also know my own history because I was so sensitive to the paranormal activities that were happening in my own life. I was, I went into, I wanted to understand things and I read things in the occult and I, you know, tried different things and I did tarot cards and I even like learned how to do magic and, and all of that crap from uh, witchcraft and and white magic and black magic and I've even read the, the Satanic Bible and all this crap because I was interested in those things because paranormal activities were real and so many things had happened to me when, when I was younger. And uh, people can judge me like the way they judge Joseph Smith because he understood things and he was trying to figure things out as well. And he put away the whole money digging thing and the whole seer stone for treasure thing. He was a kid. Why are you going to judge somebody? You wouldn't judge somebody uh, 40 years or 30 years down the road based on crap they did when they were a kid. But you're going to judge Joseph Smith because it's all present to you. You know, you see his whole life as if, uh, and you learn about the whole thing from the top to the bottom, this end to that end at the same time and you don't realize that he progressed and he did things which he's trying to understand things in his world from his world view and whatever and uh, you want to throw him under the bus every chance you get and you know where that comes from that's what Satan wants that's why I don't care what anybody said about what Joseph Smith did or did not do the only thing I know is and I know a lot, but the only thing I really know is when I was an, when I was an anti-Mormon Baptist, I learned about all this crap. But when I asked God if Joseph Smith was a true prophet, 
the Holy Spirit came down on me with, with power and like hot oil and it filled my whole soul up. And I was completely healed from the drug addictions that I had at the time. And it wasn't high when I did it. But um, I know that the Book of Mormon is true. Whether or not there were horses and chariots, I don't care about any of that crap. I know by revelation that Joseph Smith is a true prophet. And the doctrines that he taught are the doctrines of the restoration and that they are true. And I'm going to continue to be a bold witness for God because I have seen him face to face and I have embraced Jesus Christ in the flesh. And whether people accept that or not, I don't know what to tell you, but I know it's true. And I love the doctrine. I love Nobody cares. <laughs> He's all, I'm going to Hunter. Like, why do I care where you're going? I don't even know who most of these guys are. They all know who I am because of the red beard. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, you're Redbeard um, the pirate. <laughs> no, I'm the red-bearded grave digger. And there's a story behind that as well, but I'm not going to talk about it right now. Anyway, um, I, I, the doctrine is beautiful, especially the deep doctrine. King Follett, uh, lectures at the Grove, all of that stuff, and I love it. And I'm going to continue to teach it, and I don't care who doesn't like it. And I don't care how many death threats I'm going to get because of it. And I've gotten plenty. And uh, we'll leave that. And there's nobody in the studio or in the chat room? Nope. I'm a- I was muted. Sorry. Okay. All right. Well, uh, go ahead and cue the music, Sleep Away or whatever that's called. And we'll be back on tomorrow with another episode of Fundamentally Mormon. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.